0: Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today <coughs> is sponsored by Sylvia and Abraham Galapo, dedicated in loving memory of Sylvia's mother, Josette Sonigo. Bat Esther. Ruach Eden. And for the Rufuah Ashlema of uh, Rabbi Eliabadi, and and uh Mefega. The week of cold is sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to go today and every day, my friends. Let us begin. The pasuk tells us <clears throat> that Esav approaches Yaakov in the uh, in, in the house, and he says to him, "Listen, uh, I'm really, really hungry. Um, I'm gonna. I feel like I'm gonna die. Uh, I need to eat some of that red stuff that you're cooking. Give me some of the red stuff." And Yaakov says, "No problem. Let's do a little swaparoo for uh, the bechorah." The pasuk says, "And Esav sold the bechorah to Yaakov, and Yaakov paid for it the sum of one uh, red lentil soup." And the pasuk tells us, "Va'yiv esavita bechorah, and Esav uh, degraded the bechorah." In the fact that he'd asked to pay, he asked to uh, to uh, swap swap the, uh, the the soup for the Bechorah. The commentators ask a very interesting question. There's an interesting law um, in the halachot of business in uh, in Judaism called onaah, and what's the law of onaah? That whenever there's a case where a person um, overcharged. Yoter more than a certain amount, exactly what it is, I don't want to get into the ramifications of it, but if a person overcharges for an object or the discrepancy of value was uh, uh, beyond a certain point. So as an example, let's say uh, I'm I'm new new to the town and I don't know that my building uh, that I own in Manhattan is worth a lot of money. You see me, I'm fresh off the boat, from Israel or from some other country, and you tell me, listen, you know, a building in Manhattan, you know what it's worth? Easily, easily 50 grand, 100,000. Maybe even 100,000. I say, really, 100,000? You say, listen, because I like you, Shlomo, I'm gonna give you 150. And because I'm a rabbi and not a businessman, I'm like, oh, 150, that sounds so generous of you. And I sell you the building with all everything signed. Meanwhile, how much is the building worth? 50 million dollars, let's say. What's the halakha? Is that sale valid? In a scenario where someone uh, was, the discrepancy between the price and the, and the sale is so great that it's beyond a uh, acceptable amount. Again, we're not getting into what that amount is, but it's beyond that amount. Yes, yes, I mentioned that the first time around. But I said, we're not gonna get into how, how do you define that. That amount, after that point, already the sale is null and void. Ask the commentators, one second, now Yaakov Avinu bought the bichora, <coughs> the right to the firstborn, for the price of a bowl of soup. How did the sale go through? Why was it valid? It's less than, it's less than the amount of onaada value. Later on, Yaakov Avinu, because he bought this bichora, he gets all the blessings from his father. The blessings for this world, for the next world, all of that because why? Because he bought the Bechorah. So my friends, what in the world? How could this Bechorah uh, be a valid sale? Surely it's, uh, it should be null and void based on the laws of Ona'ah. This is the question of Reveliao Mishkovsky. Beautiful question. And he answers by, by way of a very famous mashal. It was a man who came to the rabbi and the rabbi said, uh, you know, how can I help you? You look very upset. You look very perturbed. He says, rabbi, you know I have a daughter. You know she's getting ready to get married. I don't have a dollar to marry her off. I can't, uh, I can't uh, you know, take care of my family. What should I do? The rabbi says, I give you a berakha that the first business deal that comes your way, you should jump on it, do it, no matter what the deal is. And that berakha is going to give you, that, that deal will give you the beracha that you need In order to be able to have uh, an ability to marry off your daughter, okay, the guy listen. He trusts his rabbi, Emunat Chachamim. He's walking home. On the way home, he's got to stop for a drink. He stops in some uh, rest stop. He's going to get a cup, a thing of soda. Who's sitting around the table over there at this rest stop? A bunch of very wealthy businessmen. Anyway, the guy walks in. He's looking around, uh, you know, for a place to sit down. Anyway, uh, he uh, he. He, uh, he, he decides he's going to go get a drink. He comes past the table. And as he comes past the table, he sees all these guys. They're a little bit tipsy. They're having a good time. And the conversation ensues and this and that. And finally, one of the guys turns to him and says, I'll sell you my whole Olam for a dollar. The guy says, sure. The rabbi told him, whatever business deal gets offered to him, you should take. He gives the one dollar less dollar in his pocket. He gives the guy the dollar. He acquires the guy's Olam Anyway, Haddad comes home that night the, the, uh, the, to his wife. His wife says, you know, what'd you do today? He goes, I did a great business deal. What business? He goes, I sold some loser my olam for a dollar. She says, you sold your olam Are you out of your mind? I'm not being with someone who has no olam The guy says, well, what do you want me to do? I sold it already. She says, go find this guy. Buy it back, whatever it costs. We're not, I'm not staying with you if you don't. Anyway, the guy doesn't know where he's coming from, but he realized the guy's a religious man. He figures there's got to be one guy that knows all the religious people. Who? The rabbi in the town. He goes to the Chacham, this wealthy man, and he says to him, listen, there's this guy. Last night, maybe you know him. He describes him. His name is Yanko, He looks like this. He looks like that. He says, okay, what's the problem? He goes, last night I was with my friends. He came by. I offered him to buy my Olam Abba for a dollar, and he told me, his rabbi said, whatever business deal comes his way, he should take it. That's how he's going to get berakha. And he bought my Olam Abba for a dollar. The guy says, listen, you got to go buy it back. He goes, I'm happy to buy it back. Would you convince him to sell it back to me? The rabbi says, no problem. He says, but it's going to cost you. I'm going to, I'll, get him, I'll, I'll get him in here. I'll convince him to sell it back to you. On one condition, the guy has a daughter he needs to marry off. If you're willing to take on the expenses of the wedding no problem the guy says you got it rabbi anything i'm a wealthy man but this is not a lot of money to me but my shalom Bayit is worth more than anything what is all the money worth if you come home and your wife is really angry at you she's yelling at you you're in the doghouse right it's not worth nothing the beautiful apartment how does it feel you want to get out of there, you can't wait to get out right anyway okay what happens the guy Rabbi, calls him down he tells him, listen, the guy would like to pay you for the Ulam Abba. how much do you want to pay? However much it costs for your daughter's wedding. Okay, guy pays him the money. Oh, beautiful. The guy leaves, the Ani leaves. The businessman turns to the rabbi and he says, Rabbi, I don't understand. Isn't there a law in Judaism of Ona'ah? I paid yesterday one dollar for it. Now you want to sell it to me for the price of a wedding? I mean, I'm happy that he had the wedding. I don't regret buying it back. Don't misunderstand me. But how did this work? Yesterday, Where's the justice in this? And the rabbi said to him, Yesterday, you sold your olam for a dollar. You know why? Because you obviously believed that it was worth a dollar or less. That's why you sold it for a dollar. So what was the value of your olam whatever it was worth to you? You're willing to sell it for a dollar? That was its price. Today, you came home, your wife is throwing you out of the house. Your $50 million beautiful apartment in the penthouse of wherever, right, now is a toxic environment. So what? It costs you $25,000 to give to this poor guy to get it back? Worth it. In, in Ten times over. So therefore, it's not a bad deal and it's not on a because that's what it was worth yesterday and that's what it's worth today. Today it has a value. Today you pray, you're paying for something that's valuable. The pasuk tells us that Esav says to Ya'akov, Esav says, I'll sell it to you for a bowl of soup. What's the value of Esav's olam haba in that minute? A bowl of soup. That's the price. What is the value of something? What you're willing to sell it for. Masha a few days later, however long later, much later actually, much later, 65 years old later, but much later when he finds out that he loses the berachot from his father, He cries out a great and bitter cry. How much is it worth to Esav now? Now it's priceless. But unfortunately, it's too late. He can't get it back. The Midrash tells us that Esav didn't come back alone. He came back with some of his hoodlum friends. Also had just done all these Averot together with him. Also exhausted. And listen to the language of the Midrash. The Midrash says, they said, Nechul We're going to eat this guy's food. V'nechoch. And then we'll laugh and smile. It's a good, they, for him it was a joke. The whole thing was a joke. It was very funny. But my friends, how often is life like this? That a person doesn't attach the appropriate value to something. So therefore, what are you willing to sell it for? Whatever value you attach to it. If time with your children is not valuable to you, so what are you willing to switch it for? What will you do instead of spending time with them? Anything? Anything at all? That means that the value is not there. Attaching appropriate value to something is a prerequisite to making sure that you get paid or that you must get paid the right amount in order to swap for it. My friends, if mitzvot are priceless, then even if it costs you a lot of money, what are you going to do? You're still going to pay the price because it's worth it to you. It's not esav for a bowl of soup. My friends, I think to myself, how could this guy do that? But really, when a person eats non-kosher, what are they selling their values for? A roll of sushi. You're looking at esav and you're laughing at esav. You ate non-kosher sushi. And by the way, yes, there is such a thing the nori rolls if they're not checked they carry in them uh bugs and uh, baby seahorses you can actually see it with the naked eye if you hold it up to the light a person goes to a place and has a salad we all know this lettuce needs to be washed it needs to be checked right that's the halakha so what did you sell your values for a salad you know you went to a certain place oh it's only a pizza what could be wrong with cheese so you sold the laws of kosher for a slice of pizza. It's crazy. You don't realize that. But every time we do this, that's what we're doing. You know, you, you, just, you don't disclose something in a deal. And then what happens later? Now your deal went through, you sold your integrity for an extra 10K. That means that you know what it costs for you to become corrupted? There's a price that you charge Lie, steal, cheat, no problem. What's your price? Your price is 10K. You know what proves it? Because you didn't reveal in the deal that that's what it was. That's your price. That's Vayeev's Esavita Bechora. What was the Bizayon that Esav declared the Bechorah is worth? A bowl of soup. My friends, so many times we go through life unfortunately without having spent the time to illustrate, to show, to delineate what exactly something is worth. And I would ask and challenge, I think, a person to actually sit down once and write down on a piece of paper, write down, what is the value to me of things? What is the hierarchy of values for me in my life? What are they? What comes first? What comes second? What comes third? And when you have a question, to refer back either to that physical piece of paper or to the list that you made in your mind, you'll start to realize that it's not that you're not living life by my values, or that you're not living life by the Torah's values. It's that you're not living life by your own values. You think, you say that this is more important, but unfortunately, you don't follow your own price list. At that point, you have two choices, either to change your behavior or to change your list. Because you can't in good conscience be doing one and holding on to the other. My friends, I want to end with this last point, a point that I think is very valuable. The Chachamim tell us that in the end of time, the Yetzirah is going to be revealed. And all of the Sadiqim are going to look at this Yetzirah and all of the rishaim are also going to look at this Yetzirah. And the Yetzirah is going to appear to the Sadiqim and to the Rishayim differently. The Yetzirah is going to seem to the Sadiqim like a big mountain. And the Yetzirah is going to seem to the Rishayim like a string, a thread. The Sadiqim will cry when they look at this Yetzirah that was a mountain. The evil inclination that they had to overcome in their life. The difficult uh, challenges that they faced, and they'll say, "How did we? Able, how were we able to overcome this great mountain?" That's what it says. But the Rishayim also, shh, thank you. The Rishayim also will look at these threads, and they'll also cry. And what will they say? They'll say, "How could it be that we tripped up in our life over this thread?" The Mepharshim actually explained the Gemara in a very profound way. A Sadiq in this world, how does he see the Yetzirah? It might be difficult, but there's no question in his mind of what he's going to do. So therefore, even if it's a big mountain, it's something he knows he's going to overcome. In the world to come, when the Sadiq sees the mountains he climbed, the Sadiq says, wow, I can't believe it, Hashem, that you gave me the zechut, you gave me the strength, the courage, the resilience... The the will to be able to climb such beautiful mountains in my lifetime. And it will bring him to tears. The achievements that he's made. A lot of times people do great things in this world. And they don't stop and take notice of how beautiful what they did is. You give tzedakah and you don't ever see the recipient. It's hard for you to value your tzedakah because you don't see what it did. I'm not saying they need to take you on a hero tour and clap and put your name everywhere. I'm saying, but you should see the impact that it makes in the world, because that will encourage you to do it again and again and again. The Sadiq now looks and he sees the mountains he overcame. The Rasha, on the other hand, we know it's very interesting. The Gemara says, anyone who's bigger than his friend, his Yetzirah is bigger than his friend. Now, you don't think of it that way. You think a a person who's a a base person, very uh, terrible guy. This guy has the big challenges with this, with women, with money, with Shabbat, with a rabbi. What kind of challenges could he have already? A religious guy. You know, the guy's doing everything right. His challenges are minor. The Gemara says the opposite. And let me explain why. With a Rasha, the challenges you could see a million miles away. It's very obvious. It's blatant. You you know, the thing is wrong, you know it's wrong, and now you have to figure out if you're going to do it or not. (coughs) With a tzaddik, if it's wrong, it's not even a challenge. What is the challenge in the most nuanced of cases? You know, should I do this mitzvah at the expense of that mitzvah? Should I learn Torah or... Go over there and do this other thing. Should I do this mitzvah of tzedakah with the the kala, Or should I give that money instead over here? These are the challenges. It's so minor. It's so refined. Let me give you an example. Joe, you'll like this. Okay? When you're dealing with something, which the value of it is, you know, very easy to tell. You have a book. The book is worth $20. You want to know if the book is damaged? Very easy but the, the corners are bent, the pages are ripped, anyone could see, very easy. When it comes to a mat, something that is very high value, you have a diamond, unless you have a trained eye, you can't tell the difference between a $1 million stone and a $20 million stone, unless you have a loop, unless you're trained, you're looking in, you wanna see, right? There comes a point, an element of knowledge of professionalism where your average everyday guy can't tell the difference and, and only a mumchel expert can tell the difference. My friends, that's what it means. Gadol mechavero, gadol You're a big Tamil Khacham, you're dealing in diamonds. You're dealing in, in uh, emeralds. You you want to know the difference? It's not just big small. It's in the quality of the stone. You understand? So, my friends, in the end of time, the Sadiqim are gonna look at the Yetzirah and they're going to say, wow, I can't believe. You know, the Rishayim are going to look and they're going to say, the Sadiq is going to look at it and see it's a mountain. The the Rasha, what's he going to look at? He's going to see. It was so obvious what was right in front of me. I could have just stepped over it. My friends, to me, that Gemara speaks volumes. Because I think that this is something that every single person could ask themselves. You do an Avon and... In the time of the Avon, it looms very large. I want to do this thing. I feel like doing this thing. It's going to make me feel happy if I do this thing. But invariably, when you do the thing that's wrong, what happens afterwards? How do you feel afterwards? You feel zbaleh. You feel like garbage. You feel cheap. You feel hollow. That's the aftermath of an Avon. Could you compare that to how you feel when you help someone, when you help someone and they're down on their luck, when you overcome a nisayon, which is very tough. It Maybe it hurts, but like they say, it hurts so good. You feel so good with yourself, so proud. You put your, pe- your head on the pillow. You make something right, something that's been, that you've done wrong years ago. You go years later, you make it right. It hurts. It might be expensive, but you did it. You feel great. My friends, that idea that in the end, the Rasha cries over something that was so small. Esav got to feel that in his lifetime. What did I do for a bowl of soup? Oh, was I crazy? <coughs> I think of myself all the time about this line in the Anna. We say, we did this, we did this, we did this. It wasn't worth it. In the time you're doing the Avera, what does it feel like? Oh boy, is it worth it. But what are you left with afterwards? Whatever it is, it just wasn't worth it. You look back and you feel cheap, you feel weak. How did I not have the, the integrity to stand up? How did I not have the koach to do the right thing? My friends, so all I think our Dvar Torah is asking you for is to ask a question that you're gonna feel later but earlier in time. Ask yourself, and then what? I'll do this, and then what? How am I gonna feel then? What's gonna be then, and then what? At that point, when you can visualize the crying later, then you don't do it now. Next time you wanna say something very sharp to your wife, to your child, you know what you do? Don't imagine your wife's face now when she's angry at you and she's accusing you, telling you you should have done this, you didn't come home, and you're like, Mia! Just imagine, you know what your wife's face looks like when you've hurt her. You know what your wife looks like when she's crying. You know what your children look like when you said something to them, you devastated their confidence. And they're like, I, 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 I'm, I'm sorry I didn't. You know what that face looks like? flash it in front of your eyes. And then what? How does it feel to get angry and lose your temper? There's this great immediate release. I answered the guy, and then what? And now what? It changed anything? It made the situation better? You just sold your integrity for a bowl of soup. That, my friends, is the question, and then what? That, my friends, is velo velanu. That, my friends, is Vaives esav. <laughs> Hashem should bless us with the gift of future goggles to be able to look into what's going to happen before we start and recognize that whatever it is, it ain't worth the cost.